Well, welcome everybody to Digging Deeper, Tripping Hazards edition for the next couple months. Started a new series yesterday. Pete jumped into it. I guess I kind of led into it the week before last. Uh, we had one meal, but uh, but now we are full-fledged, immersed in these questions that sometimes cause us to get tripped up in our faith. And so uh, Robert, Pete, and I are here to try to answer all of your questions because we have all of the answers all of for you. Yes, um, Pete does. <laughs> Absolutely. So I actually was out of town yesterday preaching at a different church, and so I gave Pete the the, the easiest first, question, yeah, the easiest of questions, <laughs> and and it was a question actually that for me yeah. uh, began to be planted in my head almost twenty years ago when I was uh, an undergrad, and I had a, a teacher that sat on the Jesus Seminar board, uh, which that's a whole other thing in and of itself, but she would essentially deconstruct the Bible, and how do we know? What in the Bible is actually to be trusted? How do we know it was added later? Yeah. And one of the things that she mentioned in that class was this notion of the way that God's portrayed in the Old Testament versus what we see Jesus exemplify in the New Testament. And so we kind of asked the question yesterday, why does it appear like sometimes God in the Old Testament is more violent than Jesus in his love ethic of the New Testament, which Pete did a great job walking through that. Yeah. But I remember in this class, she made this comment that most ancient cultures used language as far as when it comes to violence and war, giving the, uh, you know, attributing the victory or defeat to either the gods gave it to them or the other God defeated them. And so when we look at the Bible, sometimes the ways in which we see um, in the Old Testament, maybe the, the language used that God told us to do this and God gave us victory and God told us to go kill these people and mm -hmm. God, you know, allowed us to get slaughtered, um, that really it's hard to trust and know if that really was God or not God because this is just the way that people talked in the ancient Near Eastern culture, attributing everything to gods. And so um, that for me has always been something that's been in, in my head is like, how do I know in the Old Testament even that the things that are attributed to God, like giving victory through violence and war or asking for, you know, different groups of people to be wiped out or at times other nations coming and wiping out people in Israel, that this is all sure. God behind it. And then to then wrap that into his character. Um, so I thought we could start there. And then we got questions that also came in through the text. We've got some questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Pete, I know you briefly talked about that, but maybe just expand more as far as how we can actually know and trust maybe the ways in which they do describe the violence in the Old Testament and attributing to God is different from this kind of uh, Jewish vantage point versus just other uh, Middle Eastern cultures back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's not wrong. I mean, what she said is true. And I, I actually said that yesterday. Um, if you look at, there's really, I don't want to deviate. There, there's two main kinds of surviving writing you have from the ancient world primary kinds you have wisdom literature and you also have um the closest thing i could call it would be a historical account but no one would they didn't do history the way that we do history so you have those kind of two surviving pieces of writings whether it's on stones or whatever um wisdom literature often was basically philosophy trying to figure out the world um history was in the rule of king xerxes we went to war against the greeks you know that kind yeah. of thing and there's an overlap between those. And, and it, it makes sense if you understand the reason there's an overlap is because the only people who could write in the ancient world were often sages and magi and wisdom people. So the writings that we have came from those people. Um, 
and they were completely interlocked. And I think the clearest place that you see this is in the book of Daniel. Uh, if you compare Daniel, I, I also love sometimes just the way that even Hollywood sometimes gives us a picture. I know, Robert, you told me you love the movie Troy. That's so good. The movie Troy, <laughs> just there's so many. Troy's a violent movie, but there are so many scenes in Troy that give you a clear picture of the world of the Bible. Um, yeah. And in the story of Daniel, you see it in Troy as well. There is this like tension happening with like, should we actually engage in a war? Like, should we fight? Should we not? Should we surrender? And the immediate reaction of the king is, what do the gods say? Yeah. And you see that in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream, and he calls in all of his wise men. And you even see the words they use, sorcerer, magi, because people that were trying to figure out what the gods wanted were people that looked to the stars, astrologers, looked to you know bird patterns. They would cut open pigs and look at their entrails. They would cast bones. All these different, uh, they literally called them different branches of knowledge, uh, was essentially trying to get to what the gods wanted. So before you went to war, you would go and you'd consult the magis, you'd consult an oracle somebody that could potentially tap into what the gods wanted because you wanted to know if you were going to be successful. Yeah. Uh, and then if, if the gods told you to go to war, well, okay, let's go to war. So we'll win. If the gods tell you not to go to war, don't. And if we go to war and lose, we must have misunderstood. And misunderstanding was a constant repeating refrain again and again. So again, you look at Daniel and the, the wise men come before him and say, uh, you know, oh, we heard you had a dream. Like, let's tell you what he's like. No, 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 I don't want you to tell me what the dream meant. You tell me what the dream was if you're so smart. Because mm. he kind of was getting out of the fact that maybe these guys don't have a clue what they're talking about. It's kind of like um, people who forecast the weather. Right? That's the best job ever. That on steroids. And so Nebuchadnezzar's like, you know, forget you guys. If you can't tell me what my dream was, you're obviously charlatans. I'm just going to kill all of you. I'm done with all of you. And you see that throughout the ancient world, this sense of like, we want to know what the gods want. And nobody could ultimately tell what the gods want. And the beauty, the, the amazingness of the story of Daniel is through this whole situation of the conquest and the Israelites being taken captives, you have a Jewish man sitting in the court who is the only person out of that entire group of supposedly wise people who actually has wisdom from the one true God and can actually tell the king, this is what God is saying. So I'm saying all that because when a modern scholar points out a very true thing, which is, well, everybody in the ancient world talked about the God's will. And even honestly, it didn't stop. Uh, another great movie is The Kingdom of Heaven, yeah. which covers the Crusades. And there's this great scene with all these warmongering uh, knights saying, God wills it, you know, let's go kill some people. Like it, it's human nature to try to attribute things to gods. However, everything through the lens of scripture is significantly different because where every other culture was just guessing, was just, I don't know, like those crows flew north, so maybe we're supposed to go fight a war. The Jewish people tell a story that's significantly different. They say the one true God actually talks to us yeah. and that we can actually go to what was first the, the, the tabernacle, but eventually the temple, and we can consult of the Lord and get an answer back from him. You had people walking around who were not oracles that would go into these weird trance-like states and do gibberish. Like you had a person who would say, the Lord has spoken and this is what he wants. 
So when I read the Old Testament, your professor is right in the sense that all the cultures were doing things like that. Let's go to war, blame God, whatever, whatever. But the Jewish people were actually writing down, God spoke to a prophet. So the whole thing about like the the Canaanite thing, like it's coming through Moses (laughs) and other prophets of the time who were actually going before God and hearing from him. So if you pull on that thread and you say, oh, that's just how ancient cultures did it. You're actually pulling on a much bigger thread than you might even be aware of. You're pulling on the thread that actually distinguished Israel from everybody else. Mm. The very thing that made them different from their neighbors was they were not guessing. They were not just wondering what do the gods want. They were literally hearing it from the mouth of the Lord spoken to one of his prophets he had placed his spirit upon. Mm. If you pull on that thread, you're actually unraveling the whole story because everything those prophets said, including one day he's going to send a Messiah who's coming from the same source. Yeah. And that's what people, there's a really famous, and I think he's a great scholar. His name's Greg Boyd. He wrote this two massive two volume book about, you know, explaining violence away. And that's the biggest weakness of his argument. He's trying to to protect God and say like, Oh God didn't really say this stuff. The Bible can still, he doesn't realize that if you pull that thread did anything those prophets hear from the Lord, was any of it true? Or were they all making it up? In which case was the whole concept that God would one day heal the world just made up? (laughs) Was the idea that there will be an age to come of true peace and forgiveness? Was all that just nonsense if people weren't really hearing from the one true God? So where I landed yesterday was, it's a comfortable approach and it's based in somewhat, there's some real history and logic behind it. But if you pull that, the whole sweater is going to come undone and you might as well just toss your Bible in the, in the garbage. Hmm. Um, and so I can't, I can't go there and I don't yeah. think Christians should personally. Because okay. you said you're working from a bias right. that you believe that what the Bible says is true. I do. And yes. I, I was very clear about that up front. Um, and even this morning, Andrea came to my office and she made an interesting comment. Uh, she said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, depending on how you were raised, this issue can hit you differently. Because Andrea and I both share a long, almost our entire lives of being in church. Mm. And because of that, it's I'm coming from much more of a grounded, I don't, like having met God at eight years old, being confronted, but then people that maybe come to faith later um, that don't quite have that same grounding all the way since they were little kids. Yeah. Um, which is just an interesting point. Like, I am coming from a place of like, yeah. Well, I would just, different. yeah, I mean, I think that like, I had a little familiarization growing up with it, but I really didn't jump into it until I was in, like, I was 19. And so when you just tell me, hey, read your Bible, and within the first, you know, two books of the Bible, you're like, holy cow, like, <laughs> just read the, this is the God I just welcomed? Like, there because, is a holy cow. But I mean, wow, golden cow. So that was good. So I think there's something so to be good. said about that. Like, and even, and now in today's, culture where everyone has access to everything and there's there's blogs and there's tweets and all that stuff and people say hey this verse and this that verse like to just read some of these verses in the old testament it's it's very difficult because you don't have that grounding and kind of that 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 built into um already your your belief system i mean you'd been a christian for what a year year and a half when you took her class something like that oh yeah and it about wrecked me Mm. i mean it, it was i mean i've never done well in Christian-based education. Every time it puts me in like this <laughs> like downward spiral because because they start asking questions that I never asked yeah. or, you know, or there's these different like 
positions that like smart people that have way more letters after the name than I do all see this from different sides. And I'm like, well, who am I to make a decision on and, this? And so, yeah. so this was hard. I think I just real quick, sorry. Yeah. I want to stay on that for a second because there was a season in my life when the people that I surrounded myself with, um, referred to seminary as cemetery. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'll go there and you'll lose your faith. And then when I went there, I might be one of them. And I, <laughs> and I started being confronted with all the things you're saying. Yeah. And here's, here's the, here's the real tension though. I think the tension of that situation lands on tripping hazards because what's so, and I, and I, I'm a defender of seminary, although I'm also like, Hey, here's some yellow flags before you get into it. Everyone's asking those questions. So if some of us, everyone, well, well, I think that was the part with cemetery for me. It was like, you're answering questions and no one's asking. No, no, okay. I, I think, sorry, not everyone. People (laughs) are asking these questions. And so if you put yourself in a position of teacher, of spiritual leader or advisor, if you're going to be the Christian sage, it's almost like, I'm going to get asked this question. So if I don't get confronted with it and try to think through it before yeah. I'm sitting on a couch doing counseling with somebody and I'm blindsided by it. So the difficulty with something like seminary or any kind of study You're right. is I don't think those hard questions are thrown at us in seminary just to kind of screw with our brains. Yeah. I think they're thrown with us because they're saying, look, if you're going to put yourself in this position, these questions are going to come your way. You got to deal with them sooner or later. Um, you can't just, uh, or how are you going to respond when someone comes to you seeking help here? And so here we are yeah. doing an entire series on difficult questions. They're hard and the, they, we wrestle with them, but they're not the first time we've hit, been hit with them. Sure. We've had to wrestle with them. I'll be honest though. Series like this, there's a little bit of like hesitation for me because we are asking questions um, that I know that a lot that there are people asking it, but not everyone's asking it. So I'm putting things in people's minds, but now they are. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so sometimes I do feel a little bit of hesitation just to be honest and open about it. Sometimes like, you know, when, when Brandon's like, let's do this series. I'm like, Oh man, (laughs) I'm like, okay. I felt that way about this issue. When when you gave us your list of topics, I looked at it. I think there were, are there eight of them or nine of them? Yeah, there's eight. I saw six or seven that I would label as hot button. Everybody's talking about it's and yeah yeah and then I looked at this one I'm like that's not something that like it's not a question I get a ton from people but at the same time it is a real logistic question and it needs to be talked about on some level but I worried about that I, I spent a lot of time last week saying to myself how much am I actually just putting in people's heads that wasn't even there and they're gonna walk away and be like oh my gosh you're right God did kill a lot of people when they weren't even thinking about that before yeah it was I wrestled, it was hard I, but I, I think if you were saying then in terms of the kind of hot button topics violence in general is a major uh, topic right now in our culture and how whether, Christians should respond how Christians should respond whether it be gun violence yeah just d- divine violence all that kind of stuff I mean you you mentioned and I know one of the questions came in my Robert, you can yeah. read it like you I've had people ask questions about things like the you know the Crusades and Inquisition and yeah, like, I know one of the questions next. came in what, what was that question about the, it the like, question is literally how do Christian wars like the Crusades Inquisition etc fit within the Christian ethos of nonviolence does God approve of those wars and then 
then a couple follow-up questions is what is a Christian's role when their nation is at war? Should they serve or consciously object to violence? And then can a, in quotes, Christian nation engage in warfare? And so, I mean, that first question, how do Christian wars like the Crusades Inquisition fit into the Christian ethos of nonviolence? Does God approve of those wars? And it kind of speaks to even like you're talking about kingdom of heaven, you're, you know, this idea of like God wills it and things like that. I mean, what do you guys think? Because I mean, this is where it kind of gets into the nitty gritty of really like, what does it look like when you're part of a nation or a people group that you have some allegiance to because you're part of that nation, you're submitted underneath that government to some extent? What What is the role of a Christian in that kind of situation? Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's hard. It's a tough question. Yeah. What, what do you guys think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and this was uh, episode 47. Yeah, <laughs> no, those are like really difficult because there's also, it's always easier to talk about these things looking retroactively, but you put it in a contemporary thing. So like, even if That's I were insane. to answer that yeah. question and say, are there aspects of the crusades and inquisitions that, 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 that exercised the heartbeat of God? And you can say, yeah, there's parts of it probably did. But it's easier to say that because it's in the past. But like if someone came to me right now and said, I just feel like the Lord is calling us to take over this nation and we're supposed to do this or whatever because we're a Christian nation, I'd be like, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't, I don't, like or I lean. Our nation. Yeah. Or to say we're even a Christian nation. Like there's a presupposition in that. Yeah. It's that's like why I, I said don't, in quotes. So yep. there's so many, there's so much that? in those questions. But I, you know, I think the thing that, that Pete ended with yesterday was the um, theologian that you said that you really, really gleaned a lot from in this study. I can't remember what his last name was. Um, V-O-L-F. Okay. Croatian. But just how like, how he could even want to worship a God that wouldn't want to evoke some type of wrath or revenge yes. when there's such injustice and harm being done. And so I probably lean in those directions because I do think that Pete made up a great point yesterday of like that there's, there is... I think there's the ethic of pursuing nonviolence that Jesus would advocate to put down your sword, right? To Peter yeah. or to turn your other cheek. Um, but a lot of those, I feel like those are in like one-on-one -on -one situations, but from a larger nationalistic perspective or all those things like that, like when you have in World War II, you have someone that's completely committing genocide or you have things like in Rwanda or you have stuff like, I mean, those types of moments, like I... I do see that, that that God's heartbeat would be to to defend those who are indefensible and and to stand up and yeah. and I think if there's other tactics that can be pursued in a nonviolent way on the front end, then by all means. But there's other aspects like I I have a huge respect for those who serve in our military and 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 obey Romans 13 and they honor mm -hmm. their governing authorities who call them to go into battle and those types of things. So I think that like. It's just, it's, we got to be careful on the syncretism of like when, really, yeah. when we do something because the, our nation or our government calls us to, and then to mix that with God said to. And I don't think both always have to coincide. And I think you have to wrestle with it. And, but there are times that like, I am sure that, that God allows those types of actions to happen when they're in the name of rescuing people and enemies. Like, I, I don't know, honestly, my, my 
knowledge base of the Crusades and Inquisitions and all those types of things and the fights between Christians and Muslims and things like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not a good historian with that. So to nitpick that and say, you know, that was definitely not God. Um, I, I've seen enough of it. Say there's lots of it. Doesn't seem like it was the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess my answer would be like, there's enough in the New Testament that would, in, in my mind, seem that that God is permissible and still moves in those ways. But you have to, but but you have to be extremely careful in saying whether or not this is a Lord or not. And I and I don't know how to discern that. And I know that seems like a kind of a muddy answer. But well, I I love that you pointed to to Wolf. Is that his name? Miroslav Wolf. Wolf? Yeah. Because, you know, when you were talking That's earlier ben about- Ben and Katie are going to name their twins. <laughs> Miroslav Wolf. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> or Jean and Sam. They yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you were talking about when you first got saved and started reading the Bible, we were like, just read the Bible. The thing for me is I started reading those things and I was going through things in my own life where I was hoping for some justice. You know, I was hoping for some vindication. So when I started reading about how God vindicated his people and protected his people and, 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 you know, he like, like would shelter them and hide them and he'd protect them and he would fight for them. Like for me in, in the middle of the throes of what I was in, that actually was extremely ministering to me because I realized at that point, I was like, oh my goodness, God will fight my battles. Like God, God will go before me. Like I can, I, I don't have to try to keep warring and fighting and I don't have to try to, you know, always be the one that's going to fight back so that I can preserve myself. Like I have a God who can do that and I can learn how to trust him and submit my life more and more to him. And that's where my Christianity began. Mm. And so I think your circumstance really does define your perspective sometimes um, on the same truth. You know, yeah, I, same, I think I told you Hal Donaldson, who's the you know, CEO of Convoy of Hope, mm-hmm. who we support. One of the things he said to me recently that was just so great. He was talking about heaven. He's, he said, I think the first emotion that most of us are going to feel when we get to heaven is is the relief that it's real. And he mm. said, for some, it's just relief because they've had this mental battle. Is this true or not true? But he said, but, but for two thirds of the world, they feel like they're living in hell. Yeah. And so the relief that it's real to show that God did make a way, did exercise justice, did rescue them from their dire circumstances. They have relief that God actually did fight their battles. Um, so I think that there's there's those things you're talking about. I read yeah. a really uh, interesting theological book on Saturday. Yeah, that's what I do on my Saturdays. It How about was, you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, all the time. It was about Sunday a man too. in the future who, uh, in the future, we figure out there's dimensional universes that you can this buy. Is a, and, a, a, what kind of book? Uh, it was it by was Elon a, Musk. <laughs> <laughs> he said, did he say theological, theology book? Joking. And it's okay. Uh, it was okay. a fantasy book. Okay. The, the premise of the book was. I also do that. This is a brilliant premise. I, I love this premise. Like, and I didn't know it when I started reading it. Uh, in the future, we find out there are alternate dimensions. There's infinite dimensions. Oh look, man. Look, and th- this company starts selling them as like vacations where you can go and live in a different world and experience a different potential earth. And one of the packages you can buy is you can go to like, you can go to like the middle ages and be like a knight and fight and stuff. And so this guy ends up doing it and it's a, it's a funny, silly book, but there actually is this brilliant moment at the end. So funny where, no, 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 sorry. So there's this, there is this like, what did you say? What? Did you say me, suck at people? I said, give me a second. <laughs> give me a oh. second. <laughs> I was like, did you just say <laughs> suck at people? No, he said, give me a second. Because we're making fun of oh his dimensions. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keep talking okay. about it. I'm sorry. That the beauty of science fiction is it lets us explore hypothetical ideas. Sure. And so it, throughout the whole book, 
this character who is living in like kind of a whatever future is like, oh, it's so peaceful here. Like it's the world is slower and, you know, the life is less complicated, all these kind of things. And it's sort of like throughout the book, he's painting, he feels like the life, the life he's living here in like, you know, 12th century mm-hmm. England is so wonderful. And then like, things take this like weird turn where all of a sudden these Vikings show up and start slaughtering people. And he's traveling with these people who the more he gets to know them, the more he realizes the only thing that they think about day in and day out is not being killed today. Hmm. And by the end of the book, he comes like he, he starts telling this woman about where he comes from, which is like Seattle. And he takes out, he paints a, like he draws a picture of Seattle and she looks at it and she goes, that looks peaceful. And his response is like peaceful. What are you talking about? She's like, it doesn't look like anyone's killing each other. And he has this kind of epiphany that like life was not better in 1200, like AD in middle England, because there was no peace. There was no justice. Like people were constantly warring and killing each other. And like, if you were to live in that environment, if that was your reality, and and I kind of mentioned this yesterday, how different would you think about calling upon God to just give you something and this morning I was reading, uh, I was reading Samuel. I have been reading Samuel and Psalms at the same time. I've been following David's life cool. and then reading his writings. Yeah. And this morning I read this story about David uh, being offended by somebody and wanting to kill him. And then the guy's wife coming out and please don't do it. Like David is just this savage. And then I'm reading Psalm 29 and David says, the Lord uh, blesses his people with peace. And I'm like, even David, who was a savage, knew that the ultimate goodness yeah. was peace. And like, God is not a savage. God is not a warmonger. God's blessing is ending war and yeah. stopping it. But people living in chaos and violence without anyone to protect them, God is stepping in sometimes is the only hope they have. Um, and so I completely agree with what you just said. Perspective changes everything. Mm-hmm. If you're desperate for peace, a God of wrath is your only hope. Um, but when you live in peace, when life is pretty, you know, when the things that we have to complain about are relatively small, then we nitpick, oh God, oh, you're violent. God, don't be like, well, God being violent today in North America and Southern California would be, we would be like, why would you be violent? You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's a different concept. So yeah, I perspective is so huge. Hmm. Yeah. What are some other questions that came in? Well, one of the questions that I think is um, intriguing, but also difficult, is given the fact of everything that we just all mentioned about how there's violence in the world and there's lots of things going on that's a result of sin, someone asked the question, and maybe you've asked this question before, why did God make creation at all, knowing that sin was going to come and ruin everything? What was the point of it all? You know, I mean, a lot of people would even point to like the flood and be like, if he, like God knows what's going to happen, why did he even create it in the first place? You know? So I, I mean, what do you guys think about that? Like, why did God still make, you know, humanity, even though he knew sin was going to enter the picture, create all of this bloodshed and violence and carnage and Can I so answer forth. with another science fiction movie? <laughs> um, or book or comic book or I don't know. I don't know what it is about. So when we tell stories, our stories are often dealing with these questions, these Especially, existential questions of, um, there was a movie that came out a few years ago. I think it, was it called Arrival? Uh, I, mean, I forgot what it was called, but basically like- Tom Cruise or something? No, it was uh, aliens come and they were from the future 
and they have to, <laughs> they, they don't speak movies. the right language. No. And the main character, I think was Amy Adams, has to like learn how to communicate with them and learn the language to know what hmm. they want, why they're here. But as you're watching the movie, and it's really, I think it was up for an Oscar. It was a brilliant movie. She keeps having these weird, and it's like she's having flashbacks okay. of like having this daughter and raising her daughter, but then her daughter gets sick. And then like, and it's just, it's really confusing. It's hard to figure out what's going on. Eventually her daughter dies and you're not quite sure like, okay, so she, this was her past and you're seeing her past and spoiler alert, sorry, but it's not spoilers. I'm what it's called. At the end of the movie, you realize that these aliens actually, when they connect with you, they give you insights into your future. And the whole time she was being given a picture that if she married this man she was working with, she was going to have a daughter who she would love, but would eventually die of cancer. And at so the end of the movie, thing. at the end of the movie, she has this moment of the man asks her out, Hey, do you want to go get coffee? And suddenly she knows because she's seen the future. If she says yes, she's going to have a daughter who's eventually going to die of cancer. And in this moment, you see this question, which is, would she rather have those 18 years with that girl I see. and deal with the pain or avoid the pain and never have it experienced? And in the very scene, the final scene of the movie, she's like, she's like yeah, let's go. And she chooses the goodness of a life with that girl, even though there would be pain with it. And I think like in this moment, I, when I, I remember watching it, just thinking like, okay. to me, it's like when, when we look at this question and say, well, God, why would you do any of this if there's pain involved? Because there's something else involved, which is so good. There's the beauty of the relationship. There's the beauty of life. Like the, the years that we do have, the time that we do have with our, with each other and our family and with God, ultimately are worth dealing sometimes with the pain. Um, and there's also the promise that eventually he's going to deal with the pain and it, it, you know, we have eternity too, you know? So, but yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> this turned into a very big science fiction, uh, conversation. Well, I think, yeah, it I works. The, I, I hear Paul that. says, right. The, and these three remain, right. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Yeah. And if love gonna... is the greatest of things and love ultimately we know is God is love. Then I think that there's that aspect of of choosing to pursue what is the absolute best, even though there might be some shrapnel that you have to go through in the midst of it. Yeah. And I think that there, it speaks a ton to God's love of us, his pursuit of us, that even in spite of us, knowing that we would be, honestly, for God's perspective, we'd be the greatest source of his pain. Mm. But his willingness to go through that pain nonetheless because of his love for us yeah. is very similar to what you're talking about because we are his children, we are his sons and we are his daughters. And, um, and there's so much more when you look at the breadth of eternity <laughs> of, of why that is worth it right now in the temporary for God to pursue that and for us to pursue him even when it's hard because love and ultimately experiencing the fullness of who God is, is the essence of life. So. And the Bible says God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, yeah, that even with the knowledge of our sin and destruction yep. and rebellion, that he gave his life, you know, that he decided to choose us, to, to embrace us and, and give us a new identity and, and give us that life. And that, and that same God that's being spoken about in Romans from that verse mm -hmm. is the same God in the Old Testament. That, that knew all this would lead to the cross and he still endured it. He still went forward with it because of his that's love right. for us. And so that's not changed. That God of the Old Testament is a God of love, mercy, compassion, and expression of love sometimes is exercising wrath and mm -hmm. bringing justice. But ultimately it's, it's the same. And, uh, and the cross is where all that meets itself as well. Like, cause you see the wrath of God, you see, you see the violence, you see all of that culminating in that moment, but it also brings about the greatest blessing for all, all mankind. 
with Christ being the perfect sacrifice, but ultimately the one who rose from the dead and is available yeah. for all people and, and there's forgiveness. And so I don't, I don't, it's for me personally, I don't, um, I don't enjoy reading the Old Testament. <laughs> I really don't. Like there's parts of it I used to. Like I remember when Gladiator came out. That's another one of those awesome movies. Like <laughs> it gets you in that kind of conquest. Like, oh yeah, like, you know, macho. I've been reading Joshua and Judges, man. It's great. And, but the more that I have kids and get older, you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't really like reading that stuff because I don't That's want my right. kids to act that way. And I don't want, I don't want to teach them those, to treat their siblings that way. But I think it's really important that I, I've been going through Samuel as well, um, First and Second Samuel. It's really important to, to go in there because it gives a fuller perspective of who God is. But it also, it is. Like, I, I think that that's what that, that quote you had at the end, it, it's so important. Like, if this isn't an aspect of who God is, then do I really, do I really want that God mm. that wouldn't stand up and fight my battles? Because I know my kids would want me to for them, right? And so... Um, so it actually increases my respect and love for him, even though sometimes it's like my, I have kind of an initial visceral reaction when I read some of those things in the Old Testament. It's like, ah, oh, yuck, what? But, but in the end, it's good. And some people, like someone actually sent in a question, or it was more of a statement, really. But some people would argue that Jesus isn't bringing peace to earth. This is what the statement says. And they cited Matthew 10, 34, which says, do not suppose, as Jesus speaking, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so some people would argue that Jesus actually, his purpose wasn't to bring peace to earth. What would you say to someone with that perspective or that argument right now? Well, we talked about that, I think in the last podcast a little bit. Um, maybe it was two times ago. I, I, it, was, it was a while ago. Sorry, it was three weeks ago. It all blurs together. Okay. <laughs> um, but in that context of you have the last basically passage of the Old Testament being a, a statement of and or <laughs> by God. Two things are going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to send someone like Elijah who will either turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers and you'll actually finally come back to me and be who you're supposed to be. Or that's it. I'm done with you. That's mm -hmm. how Malachi ends. So when you have, especially John, starting his gospel with the Elijah showing up, calling people to repent, and they cut his head off. Jesus then says, okay, you had your chance. Um, and then in Matthew, especially leading up to Matthew 25, he sits there and looks over the city and says, you had your chance. Prophet after prophet came to you. And he even tells parables about mm -hmm. the wicked tenants who kept killing the prophets, and then the son came, and you're going to kill him too. That wasn't, I think sometimes Jesus' parables have a, have something to say to us, but they weren't said to us. They were said to Jewish leaders, the Jewish people in general. Like the Jewish people were the wicked tenants he was talking to, and now you're killing the son. Um, and so I am bringing fire, basically. Yeah. Um, like I'm coming with judgment against you. And so, yeah, I would say the words that Jesus spoke to the Jewish people, he came as a judge. He came as a prophet with a flaming sword. Um, but then we have to turn the page and say, so what does that mean now for this new community he's created? Yeah. Um, and not that that one's completely done away with, but he's shifting. He's, you know, something new is happening. And when you start to ask what is new is happening, that's where I really think the question of, okay, in this new thing he's doing, we got on this boat 
and it crossed the ocean <laughs> and now we've landed somewhere else and now we're getting off the boat. Um, what does life look like on this new place? How does violence play the role in our lives as Christians? You can legitimately say, well, the, the scripture tells us something has changed. So what has changed? And that why, that's why I think you can now talk about violence, talk about the place of military, of war, of police, all those kind of things from the Christian perspective, understanding the Old Testament, seeing the way the story flows, but then seeing that Jesus now has instituted something slightly different. And so, um, yeah, there was a part of Jesus that announced judgment. And yeah. then there's a part of Jesus in Revelation that's going to announce judgment on the entire earth at yeah. the end. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... But at the same time, he's be, still the Prince of Peace. Because all of it is about bringing shalom. Yes. Shalom, I mean, if you remember, I, I did it, I right. talked in yeah. back Show in Christmas message. that shalom is about, the, the word literally translates as to rebuild or put back. Mm -hmm. Shalom could be used to like, like put the brick back on the wall. Um, shalom is returning things how it, so when he's the Prince of Peace. That's right. He's yeah. the prince of returning God's creation to what it was supposed to be before we ruined it. So why did God allow, why did God create if there was going to be sin? Because what God created was good and it's going to be good again because the prince of remaking it good is now in charge and will eventually bring it to its fulfillment. Um, so yeah, I, there is some side of Jesus that if that involves violence, he's going to do it because he loves us. He loves us and he loves creation. Hmm. He made it. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. that meta narrative, right? Like I just that's that's one word I do remember from seminary is like the yeah. overarching story of God. Like yes. it, you've got to see where certain passages fit into the overarching story. And I like you, that illustration. Like we're going somewhere, right? We yeah. started here. We got on a boat. We went to this new place. We got out. We started to explore, and the ways in which you go about those different phases in that journey are different right? Same as parenting. There's certain different things that you teach and you share with your kids at one age, and then you give a new level of complexity as they get a little bit older. And when you look at yeah. the Bible, that overarching story and see it through that lens, it also helps give some context like, oh, in these particular verses, Jesus was talking directly to the Jewish leaders and Jewish people at the time. So to extract that and make that like the way in which I'm to live today, <laughs> like be careful because there's this well, other Jesus side that he was all like, about. Yeah. 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 So but anyway, I think we'll close there. Yeah, We're getting close to the end of the time. One small disclaimer too. I, yeah. this, I don't, I try not to do this. I actually did an entire podcast about three weeks ago on just war theory. Augustine, when Christians moved from being pacifist to start engaging the police force, somebody asked that question on my Like Stars podcast. We didn't really fully address it here, but if anyone's listening and wants to hear a further discussion on that, cool. um, they can check that out on Like Stars. I think it's, I don't know which one it was, but I, I did, Someone asked me that question and I spent quite a bit of time on it too. So cool. Well, this week we'll move to the next question. What is the next question? I, my brain is fried. Is uh, this week I'm looking at essentially the hypocrisy of Christians and oh. why, why are Christians so hypocritical and why do they Which like Christians? to you guys? <laughs> I'm, talking, I'm going to be talking about you two, this okay. whole sermon and, and why, why do Christians seem to sometimes cherry pick certain sins to judge yeah, at the expense of others? And so we're going to, dive into that one so okay. um real quick i know there's the text number if you want to put that out there like throughout this tripping hazards series we're trying to make it somewhat conversational so if there's questions that come up from this one or keep coming up robert what's the number it's 619-663-5548 and so you can text questions um or comments it's insults right? towards pete they're it's all totally anonymous. anonymous yeah so um, no please don't do those other things but you can text your questions to that number 619-663-5548 all right cool well thanks for joining with us and we'll uh See talk you next again time. next week